What's up, guys? This is Zach. And this is Andrew. We invite you to discuss some movies, have some good conversation, you know, blah, 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 all that normal stuff. You know the drill. They know the drill by this point. What are we <laughs> talking about today? We are talking about Wes Anderson's new movie, Asteroid City. And this is the full smoke on Asteroid City. <laughs> I like that. Full smoke. The full smoke. <laughs> we still need to do some condensed, I think, quick puff on, you know, some of these films. But today, full smoke, I think. Uh, I'm curious if we can keep this one under the 45 hour or 45 <laughs> minute mark. I hope not 45 hours. That's overtime, baby. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of talk on an hour, 45 minute movie. Yeah. Which I think felt, um, you know, watching it, I think it, it felt at pace. You know, I, I wasn't in there thinking it was going longer or shorter than what it was. Yeah, that was a, it was a, it's a very interesting movie. I'm a, you know, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. And uh, there's a lot of things this movie does right. Like a lot of things it just nails. And then in just a few areas, it's like it completely falls apart, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, you know, before getting into it, I guess, Asteroid City, as you said, Wes Anderson's newest flick has the typical ensemble cast um, really leading this one and kind of shepherding the whole plot or film along. At least the person with the the best performance, I thought, was uh, Jason Schwartzman. But we have Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Ed Norton, Adrian Brody. We got, you know, all the usual suspects and a couple kind of minor new characters or actors who pop in, right? Yeah, yeah a few. And then, uh, then you have a couple that are continuing on from the French Dispatch. That would be like Stephen Park. Yeah, Who's, and yeah. I, I loved uh, the French Dispatch too. Oh, I love the French Dispatch. So that's a movie that I would give uh, like four and a half puffs of smoke to. Yeah, for I guess to kind of calibrate the scale here, right? For those listening, um, yeah, I'd put I'd put French Dispatch at like four puffs of smoke, and I'd put Grand Budapest. You know, in the, in the world of Wes Anderson. Um, I would put Grand Budapest at five puffs out of five. And uh, this one, you know, I, I guess to spoil it maybe a little earlier up front, I'm I'm dropping three puffs of smoke on this one. I did enjoy it, but I thought uh, there were some, yeah, it had its issues and, and we'll get into that, of course. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm at three puffs of smoke. Uh, I mean, if, if we broke it down into different categories, you know, cinematography, uh, you, you know, the color correction or not the color correction, color selection, uh, acting. There's a lot of things I'd give four, but as a package, I'm giving you the three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that weighted score, right? Yeah. Or it, I, this one, it's like, it's less than the sum of its parts. So it's, yeah. it's like, I would, I would give almost every piece of it a, a four, some of it's even, you know, four and a half, but, as a whole, it just doesn't quite work together as a package. Yeah, and so the the plot at a high level is really, you know, this this you follow the main character, Jason Schwartzman, and his kids, what, two daughters, a son. The son is 
has been invited to this like science camp competition kind of retreat out in the middle of the desert. And they show up there with a bunch of other students of the same age families who are all there competing for a scholarship, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that is a, it's played by Jake Ryan, who has been a minor character in a, a few different Wes Anderson movies coming into this. I believe, uh, the voice acting in Isle of Dogs, and he was one of the uh, the scout members in Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah, so this is kind of him graduating. I thought he did a fine job. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in future, you know, movies. With yeah, Wes. It, yeah. I think I think he uh, he fit the aesthetic uh, very, very well. You know. Yeah, the uh, his character is kind of a little quirky, more reserved. Um, not quite introverted, but definitely, I mean, I got lone wolf kind of vibes from him, um, but intelligent, smart, has that initiative and uh, his invention. So they're, they're all here at this, you know, science kind of competition to win the scholarship. And I thought his invention was kind of the funniest. It was kind of just <laughs> yeah. like the yeah. most weird one. You know, so were there... I think I think there were uh, thinking back. There were five kids, right? And they each had a different invention, and so you had one with like a, a ray gun that would just disintegrate anything. You had another that had uh, that used uh, radiation to grow plants very quickly, and she demonstrates this by growing a flower in like two seconds. There's poisons to eat, and then what were the other ones? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> was there was there a jetpack or no? Am yeah, I there mis- was. There, yeah, there was a jetpack. Yeah, jetpack. Yeah, so the jetpack uh, that uh, had. I've already drawn a blank on the fourth one, but I mean, the most important invention was uh, you know Jake Ryan's characters who had a he had this device where he could project an image onto the moon from Earth. Yeah, like any image. <laughs> yeah, and he de- demonstrates this by throwing the American flag up on the moon. <laughs> Don't they ask him like why? And he's like, "I thought it would be patriotic and <laughs> yeah. like non-offensive or something." <laughs> yeah, non-offensive, but the Soviets and the Chinese might have had an issue at the time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, his invention was pretty cool. It was like yeah, the bat signal on like steroids. Um, yeah, I thought he did fine. So the the plot is really, I guess, at a high level without get, getting into spoilers. Just, you know, this father with his children are go- going to this science convention in, you know, quote unquote, Asteroid City. Um, and, you know, they, they all meet up. They get together a bunch of different, you know, cast of, of characters, students, uh, kids who have these inventions, family members. And the, the father is a recent widow. So the, you know, Jake Ryan's character and his sisters find out in the beginning of the movie that their mother recently passed away. And it kind of shades, uh, I guess, the emotional kind of anchor of the film for, for the rest of the story. Uh, that's actually how Tom Hanks, his character, the grandfather, kind of gets pulled into the mix. Um yeah, it, it, it's interesting, and, and it follows a play within like a film format, a play within a play. Yeah, right? it's, a, it's almost three layers, like Inception. So you have uh, Brian Cranston that comes on TV as a TV host. 
and he says everything you're about to see is fictional. And then you see actors coming on to play these this fictional play production, and that fictional play, play production, which has Edward Orton, Adrian Brody, and then all the cast of Asteroid City in it, they're putting on a play for Asteroid City. And then when they start to put on that play, all of a sudden you're transported to Asteroid City. So you're you're on the third level deep in this meta story. Yeah, it's very meta. And basically what you see in the trailers is the like second nested, you know, story within this. The the, the color uh you know shots of the film are the play being acted out in front of our eyes. The production of the play is in black and white. So, you know, throughout the movie, the contents of Asteroid City and, and the film uh, are spliced with these black and white shots of, you know, the behind the scenes, if you will, of the story, which adds a layer of comedy to the film. But um, ultimately, you know, I, I didn't think it, it didn't work well for me. It, what what it in, actually ended up doing was it made the narrative feel more disjointed and it interrupted the flow and momentum for me. So I thought it actually took away, you know, in aggregate, there were some funny moments using that plot defi- device, you know, to really like, you know, get the audience to laugh and sit there and engage. But all in all, I thought, the cutaway, the break of the fourth wall, if you want to call it that, to the production of the story itself, you know, it got, it took me out of the flow of the film. Yeah. And it, it kind of, uh, I don't know, muted the emotional impact of the characters because you can see the, the actors kind of developing the roles to play those characters one layer above. So I don't, it's almost like um, when you're watching a magic trick and they, they show you how the magic trick is done as they're performing, performing the magic trick. Yeah, I think what Wes Anderson does well in his films is take some things that are like, I don't know, they have, they're, they're heavy subject, you know, matter. They're, they're, they're very emotional or very consequential like events in people's lives and is able to really put like a, a nice quirky light spin on it where it, it impacts you, but you're somewhat hopeful, you know. You're not, you don't, you can see these very upsetting kind of things happen to people in his films, but you're left simultaneously with this, like, I don't know, uh, optimism, you know, this sense of like, it'll work itself out or there, there's better, um, you know, pastures out there or whatever it may be. But with the film structured in this way where, you know, like you said, Brian Cranston opens the film saying, None of this matters, really, right? And yeah, he, obviously, he really, emphasize, a, he really emphasizes don't take any of this as real. Yeah. And so, what stakes are there when you're watching, you know, these characters? And of course, you're there watching a movie that's not real. So, there, there aren't stakes. But when you're watching it, a movie within a movie or, you know, this play within the movie, it, to me, at least it undermine, you know, the severity of the plot and, and what these characters are doing. Cause you know, you're not watching these characters actually experience these things. First and foremost, you're watching the actors prepare and execute the play. And you're reminded of that a little too much where it takes away the emotional gravity of the it, film. Yeah. It, it, it's weird because it's, 
the way they handled the execution, like if you were to go in thinking that the the execution of the play and being transported as if you were to watch the story being told to you is uh is the actual plot itself instead of where they put a lot of focus on the play itself as the main like emotional storyline and uh the the execution part of it that's it's really fantastic like, there's a lot to love there, but it's not a complete story no it's not and and even what you gain. By the, the time the film ends, yeah, the, the play itself wraps up with, with a bow. You know, you there's no question marks of where the characters end up and what they're up to next or, you know, what's to come next in their lives. But the play itself, you're kind of left, or at least I was, left thinking like, okay, so what? You know, you guys put on this production and now the production's over and yeah, a couple of the actors kind of struggled with how they wanted to deliver, you know, maybe some lines in the scene or this and that, but you know, there, there wasn't any change or, or challenges presented at that level of the story in, you know, the production of the play where I felt invested or, you know, I, I thought the film would have been stronger if he cut out the whole meta reference the whole production of the play and it was just simply you know this story of asteroid city set in the quirky universe that is wes anderson and his films i agree and it's but then i was thinking like maybe there's like 50 minutes of story in asteroid city i don't think there's a complete movie there yeah but is that an excuse you know no no and he's coming out his second movie this later this year i forget the name of it uh 37-minute film. So he's obviously willing to go there with a, a shorter story. Yeah, I mean, I I respect that he, he tried to do something that was very meta in this way, but it just it didn't connect for me. It I think the movie would have worked a lot better if um, he had cut that, that whole section out. Even Brian Cranston, like, his character had no purpose, really. I mean, he was the narrator and... You yeah. have this this talent, this this great talent and actor there, and um, it's kind of wasted. And dare I say the same thing with Tom Hanks? You know, I thought Tom. I, I don't know how you feel about it. We we try not to talk details of any of these films before, you know, we get in here and record. But I was disappointed with Tom Hanks. You know, I thought he did what he had to do. Of course, he's a fine actor, um, one of the best. But he. You know, you could have put anyone in that role. He didn't. He didn't bring anything to the that role that I was like. I I actually thought he did really poorly. I, I think there's a lot of humor in there that maybe he didn't get, or he wasn't able to deliver it in a proper way. So I could imagine Bill Murray in that role, and it's just being so much better. Yeah, I I agree with that. Bill Murray can deliver those like dry, very awkward kind of matter of fact lines. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think he fell on his face completely. I was not impressed. No, I wasn't. I I, I was going to fault Wes Anderson and, and the screenplay more than I was going to fault Hanks. But it sounds like you're faulting Hanks more than Wes yeah, Anderson. Because I think that Wes Anderson's got that dry humor down so well, and everywhere else in the movie, that same type of dry humor was playing. But it's like every time Tom Hanks did it, it's like his timing was off. It, it just didn't work. It's like this—he didn't know how to do it. I, yeah, I mean that's interesting. I, I didn't. I left kind of pissed off with Wes Anderson not really using Hanks's character 
Yeah, well, you, but when, <laughs> yeah, when you bring it. it up, I mean, when you point it out in that way, I guess that is right because overall the screenplay, everyone was kind of working with the same, you know, stuff, the same ingredients yeah. and Hanks. So, you know, kind of getting into a little bit more of the spoilers now for those who may not want oh, to. I, I, you know, I apologize. We, we spoiled the shit out of this movie already. <laughs> I feel like we've only really covered the first like 15 minutes. I mean, you get pretty yeah. quick that there's the play within the movie or play within the play, whatever you want to call it. We didn't even talk about the whole Mars attack sequence. And we haven't talked about <laughs> the alien or anything like that. That's true. That's um, true. I guess, you know, I don't know. Even the, the mother dying and driving the, the characters into kind of this situation where <laughs> so, Hank's character comes in. That's all just, revealed within the first couple. Yeah. Should we just spoil it by saying what we didn't spoil? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're 18 minutes in. Three puffs out of five for me. I guess you agree, right? Three puffs? Yeah, three puffs out of five. If you like the Wes Anderson humor, the Wes Anderson aesthetic, and you're okay with the disjointed story, go see this. You're going to like it. I really enjoyed the movie regardless of its faults. I, so my, I mean, similar kind of uh, takeaway, but I'd say I like Wes Anderson a lot. I probably don't like him as much as you do. Um, and like you know, maybe much. current like meme culture, you know, all these Instagram reels and TikToks that are you know kind of copying or, or paying respect to his style lately. But um, you know, I love Grand Budapest Hotel. I like the French Dispatch. I love Ten of Bombs. I, you know, I'm I, I dig most of his work, but this is one I you know I didn't wasn't upset that I saw it or anything like that. But I thought it was one of his weaker entries, and I probably will not rewatch it ever again. Um, never say never, but I this isn't going to be a film in his, you know, collection that I go back to and go, Oh, you know, I want to be entertained right now. Let me just throw on asteroid city. So it's worth checking out to see what the guy's up to, but it, it has no staying power for me. You know, I agree with you. You just gave me a great idea. If I win that little bet we have about who gets more, uh, more right on the rot tomatoes of what we like list. I shouldn't choose really bad movies. I should choose three very disappointing movies. That you have to yeah. Watch. <laughs> that just make me sad and depressed, you know, not oh. miserable, but like three movies that had so much promise that, <laughs> you know, just didn't live up. You know, it's like when your parents say, I'm not, I'm not upset. I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. I'm disappointed. <laughs> that cuts deeper <laughs> than, you know, the others. So, um, yes, that's the 20 minute mark, the full, almost full smoke on Asteroid City, three, three puffs out of five. Now the spoilers. What do you want to spoil? Uh, there's an alien. It's played by Jeff Goldblum. Yes. And he's the best person <laughs> in the entire world to play him. And he doesn't even really do much with the role. It's just the fact that like he is the man in the costume. It's, it's, a, it's a great joke because it's a stop motion alien. And there's definitely not like anyone playing him. <laughs> and so when you go up to the the play level, all of a sudden you see Jeff Goldblum in the costume. He's talking about his performance in the role. Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah that, that would be Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> but no, I'm glad you mentioned that because the actual like scene 
when the alien arrives and like drops down out of the ship, I thought it was so cool. It looked so legit. It looked so like 1950s, 60s sci-fi, you know, these films back then. It, I thought it was awesome. And it was so funny because when the alien actually arrives, so they're all gathered in the, the bottom of the asteroid crater, right? They're in the, they're, this convention, science convention is taking place in Asteroid City where a meteor had hit the Earth at some point. And, yeah. you know, there's this crater. So they're in the bottom of this crater. The actual meteorite that hit the the Earth is sitting there in the bottom. They have it, what, in this, like, container? Kind of like... It's like in a metal cage. Yeah, like a, you know, like a shrine or something, like a... Yeah, uh, you know, they're paying respect or, you know, here you can look at the actual thing that impacted creating this crater. They don't want you to run off with it. Yeah. And so this is going on. They're having like a meeting um, announcement. They're announcing like, you know, everyone, all these students who are winning awards for, you know, the work they did, their inventions. And aren't they about to announce the winner of the scholarship? Yeah. So. So um, Jeffrey Wright's there. He's the general. And they're, they have a $5,000 check. And this is a lot. I mean, this is taking place in the 1960s. And one of those five kids with the five inventions are going to win a $5,000 scholarship. And so it's during this uh, – actually, no, it's not. It's, when there, it's the eclipse, the triple eclipse. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, scratch all that. We're going to edit that out later. Just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. So, Don't cut that. Don't cut that. This is <laughs> constant stream of consciousness. Yeah. So there's a. Uh, so they're, they're uh, earlier in the day. They I mean, God damn it! It's been three days. It has four. been three days. We're supposed to record it that night. Yeah, we saw this on a Thursday. So you had, to, you had to put so much butter on your popcorn. <laughs> I know there's way too much butter on the popcorn. <laughs> AMC, take away the butter machines. Because I can't, I have no self control. He's like, I, I can't. It hurts. I can't do this. My belly hurts. My tummy, please. All right, so they're in the the bottom of the the crater, and basically, you know, they're they're gathered there, and this was it flying saucer. Yeah, pulls so they, up right above them. Yeah, so they all have this cardboard box over their head. So they'll go blind looking at this eclipse. And uh, they're supposed to see, what is it, three single dots to show like this planetary alignment. And so everyone's looking through the box. Then all of a sudden, everyone sees a fourth dot. It's just a green dot. And everyone takes the cardboard box off their head. And they look up, and there's this green crystal-looking UFO floating above their head. And it hovers there for a second, and everyone's just kind of looking in amazement. Not really sure what to do. And then the trap door opens and this dark figured stop motion alien pops out of the bottom with big white eyes. Almost looks like a like a dark dark colored gumby, <laughs> like from back in the day. And he Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. That's pretty close. So he drops the ladder all the way down to the, the base and everyone's just looking at him in amazement. And the alien's looking at them like, oh shit. There's, there's supposed to be this many people here. <laughs> yeah, like I thought I was coming back to do like a quick 
quick mission here. <laughs> yeah. And so he just drops the ladder down. Uh, yeah, steps by the meteor that's in this little cage. The meteor is like the size of a basketball. And he just looks at everyone awkwardly and pulls the cage up. He grabs the meteor, looks around, and then grabs the ladder and gets taken back up into the, the spaceship and flies off <laughs> back into space. And before he does that, Jason Schwartzman, who's a photographer, uh, he's the grieving father, takes a photo of him, uh, snaps a photo of the alien, and everyone is just kind of in shock. Like their entire worldview was just upended. No one really knows what to do. And of course, Jeffrey Wright, who's a gov- who's a general, contacts the president, and the president's just basically like shut down everything. Like he goes uh, full Madagascar in that pandemic game. If you, the- you guys played that one, yeah, they go pretty hard. Yeah, so they shut down the whole city. No one's allowed in or out, and it's a one week quarantine. And they're basically like, we're going to brainwash everyone into having a cover story, so we don't have to tell this to the public. And that is kind of the setup for the plot of the third layer of the movie, Asteroid City, is uh, everyone's stuck in this quarantine. And it kind of gives comparisons to the COVID quarantine and the isolation. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it it was filmed during the pandemic, right? I mean, the height of the pandemic, I thought, was this 2020, 2021 timeframe? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I... It was, um, I think he started writing this in September 2020. That's, uh, and then. And even, you know, I would say even if he wasn't writing it, you know, during the pandemic, when it came time to shoot and film, I'm sure the, just the, what was going on in the real world informed this because you get a sense that, you know, these people are just kind of dealing with it. And, you know, it's definitely. There are aspects of COVID-19 kind of sprinkled in there, not directly, not like in a political way or anything like that. Just I I could tell like, yeah, this this movie was made post-pandemic with how people are behaving. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I actually got a direct quote here from Wes Anderson from May 2023. He says, I don't think there would be a quarantine in the story if we weren't experiencing it. Was it deliberate? Writing is the most improvisational part of the whole process. It relies on having nothing. So he's saying that that quarantine probably did come from the pandemic, but it was a deliberate process, just like you said. Oh, nice. I was paying attention, even though the popcorn was heavily buttered. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot of butter. (laughs) There there was like, you know, we we could pour it out by the the time the bucket was empty. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah, this, that, that makes sense. That's, that's pretty interesting. What else really stood out? I mean, the alien was really cool. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, I knew there was buzz around Scarlett Johansson and her nude scene in this, um, which, you know, for those of you people who want to go watch it to see her nude, you're going to be disappointed, I guess. Yeah, um, it was more of an artistic take. It was uh, kind of a blurry in a, in a mirror view, and it was – it wasn't like a exploitative, exploitative, or I mean, yeah, it's it's out of focus. So yeah. you see her on camera, um, drop her clothes. You know, she's doing it for what a, a photo from Jason Schwartzman's character, who's a <sighs> photographer. You know, you had said that he captured the alien earlier in the film. He yeah, captures they're, they're, all kinds of photos. He's yeah, kind of 
you know, guess, he's uh, a professional, right? Yeah, to set this up, he's a wartime professor, uh, a photographer, very established. Well, uh, like they imply that he's famous in the industry. Yeah. And Asteroid City, I guess we need to give a little bit more description what the town looks like. It's not really a city at all. It's a bunch of maybe 200, 300 square foot little bungalows that are set up almost like an RV park. And it's owned by Steve Carell. And there's no population besides Steve Carell. Every, all the, the grocery stores, everything like that, it's all just a series of like vending machines where you can buy anything from cigarettes to deeds of land. <laughs> Yeah, out of the vending machines. And the vending machines were cool. They were like Japanese vending machines, but 1950s America. <laughs> yeah, I, I, love I love those. And so, you know, keep in mind all these little bungalows that are kind of tightly, pa tightly packed together. Maybe you might be able to fit a car between them, but that's how tightly packed they are. So Scarlett Johansson and Jason Schwartzman's families, their bungalows are right across from each other. Their windows are lined up directly. So as they're in quarantine there, opening the windows and talking to each other through the windows. Um, Jason Schwartz would kind of turn one of the little rooms into a, a dark room for photography. And it's across from Scarlett Johansson's bathroom where she is practicing a new scene for one of her new movies that's coming up where she's uh, playing a Scarlett who finally you know, gives into her demons and overdoses on drugs in the bathtub. And so as she's practicing this role in the, in the shower, uh, Jason Schwartzman is uh, doing his photography and you know doing pictures, and they're kind of just t bantering back and forth and building up this like initial romantic attraction. And so it's at this point that Jason Schwartzman starts taking pictures of her, and she's just, you know she's this famous actress, and you know they're kind of teasing each other. Where some of them he's like, "I'm going to sell these," and some of these is like, "These are for a personal collection," and you know, and eventually she says, hey, I'm going to do this scene where I'm stepping out of the shower. And so she steps out of the shower, starts doing her scene, and she's wearing a towel. And they kind of look at each other nervously, and she drops the towel. And you don't see anything except they pan to this tall mirror on the side of the room, and you see her naked out of focus, and that's the whole setup. Yeah, and I thought Scar Joe did a good job. I thought she yeah, was she, fine. She did a great job, and it would have felt really out of place if they just showed her naked, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was done well, I thought. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of played on the whole relationship they they had, her and Jason Schwartzman's character. It was very playful. Uh, they even sleep together, don't they? They get, like, romantically involved. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it was very, I mean, it was playful. It was, yeah, I, you know, I thought it worked well. Um, I thought really everyone did their assignment. They all did their assignment well. The only one who didn't was Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> Tom yeah, Hanks fuck, fuck you, Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Forrest. Do you, don't you feel, it, it almost felt like sacrilegious to, to say that when we first started, you know? But when you really think about it, he did suck. Yeah, he sucked. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the uh, hazy IPA brought to you by... <laughs> North Park in collaboration with Green Cheek <laughs> up in uh, Coast Mesa. But, you know, I don't know. It Just as I'm sitting here trying to really think about the faults of the movie and the strengths, it, yeah, I mean, Tom Hanks, the, the acting was fine. The acting was great. I mean, it, it was as great as any other Wes Anderson mo movie. But I think what this boils down to is this, 
This review by who is this? Owen Gleiberman of Variety. He says, Asteroid City looks smashing, but as a movie, it's for Anderson diehards only, and maybe not even too many of them. And I think for me, I'm not an Anderson diehard. I like him a lot, but you know, my takeaway, you know, like I said, kind of at the beginning here, it was a fine movie, but it, he kind of, it was self-indulgent. It was very Wes Anderson and his use of this play within a play and kind of the meta aspects of it, I think was just him kind of not believing his own bullshit because I don't think any of it was done in excess, but it was just like, you know, so I wish someone would have reined him in a little bit to say, hey, there's a better way to tell this story, or at least one that would have hit better with me. But who am I? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you know, and you said it earlier that they tied up the asteroid city with a little bow, but I didn't think it really did. I'm trying to think into the characters, and I didn't get the sense that maybe anyone but the sun had any character growth. <sighs> Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the overall plot of uh, Asteroid City, right? I mean, you have a convention, the alien shows up, he takes the asteroid away, he brings it back, and they make a joke that he basically just cataloged it and ran off. So it was kind of inconsequential, the whole alien and what the alien served to the the story, which I thought was kind of funny. That's very different than War of the Worlds and all these <laughs> yeah. movies about aliens. This one was like, hey, I'm just here, like I just kind of doing my 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 job, you know. I'm just out here as like a alien scientist cataloging things and I'm gonna be on my merry way. Like I can't be bothered by you all. Um and then you know they they deliver the scholarship, the characters get out of quarantine and they go on with their lives. So yeah, in the, yeah, the middle of the night too. Like there's a like, like there's a big thing where we're releasing you from quarantine. The alien shows up and like we're putting you back into quarantine. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then Jason Schwartzman wakes up in the morning and everyone's gone. Like oh, we lifted the quarantine. Yeah, very quick. Um, so I mean, there's a, a beginning, middle, and end of of Asteroid City. But to your point, there's not a whole lot of character development outside of the sun. Um, which is true. I mean, you spend the most time and th- and then maybe that's the point. And I think, you know, as you say it, maybe that's what's going to get me a little more worked up here is that when you jump out of the, the plot of the play, which is Asteroid City to the production, you can't spend as much time with these other characters and watch them grow. Yeah. So I'd argue he sacrificed the goddamn character growth at the, the play level in order to give us some story about the production of the play, which once again was kind of pointless. I had no takeaway from the production I, I, I was, of the play. You know, and it was cool. I liked it was cool seeing the production, but now that I said that it was great earlier, there's one thing that confused me. Maybe it's because I'm not up to date on my plays and how the whole production works. I should I should learn more about that. But I was confused for a minute on the difference between Adrian Brody's character and Edward Norton's character. Because it seemed like they were both playwrights, but I'm guessing Adrian Brody was a play director. But yeah, I mean, they're working together. Yeah, my takeaway was that he was like Ed. So Ed Norton, he, as you said, I don't know if we got into this earlier. He is the playwright, so he wrote Asteroid City. That's what we're seeing with 
Scarlett Johansson, Jason Schwartzman, Tom Hanks, we're seeing his characters come to life in the film. But in the production, um, yeah, Adrian Brody, I think, is the stage manager, whatever the hell you want to call him, play director. He's out there like moving and shaking behind the scenes, giving people advice on maybe the producer even. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think that might be the case. It, It. I don't know if I missed a line. I just thought they were introduced with the same role in the beginning. Then they definitely were doing different things as the movie went on. So that part wasn't confusing. Yeah, I'll, but even I'll, Adrian Brody's character and him being the, the director of this play, he's kind of just like half in, half out. I thought he was very laissez-faire about everything. Yeah, his wife left him for a New York Yankees player. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of like... Uh, he's like, oh, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just very lukewarm. Not he doesn't really have a whole lot of motivation. No, yeah. And, uh, I, I guess like you know our original conversation, the little bit we did talk about the movie, because they they're doing this uh, in the, in the the second level on the play level. Yeah, uh, there's a moment where Edward Norton's character has kind of a writer's block, and he's trying to develop these characters. And you see the cast of Asteroid City and all this this acting classroom amongst a bunch of other people that aren't in the movie otherwise. And he's talking about being, he needs to kind of rock the audience to sleep in a way. Like he wants this to be like a dreamlike fatigue. And, and so everyone in the, the room basically is uh pretends to go to sleep. So there's kind of this comedic slapstick moment where people are just falling on the ground to sleep because they're so committed to their part. But it, it felt like very important to, how they were describing the overall theme of the film as to like what the purpose was and what he was trying to do. But you know, I've been thinking on it and it must be a little bit too abstract for me to really get my, my hands on, on it, you know, and really wrangle, wrestle with it. Or maybe I'm missing some pieces, but it didn't quite click for me exactly what he was trying to accomplish and if he accomplished it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll wait and see, I guess maybe the buzz will, enlighten me in some other aspects of this film, but it's not, not something I, I am like dying to go rewatch to kind of pick up these gaps in what I may have missed. Uh, you know, one, one outing was fine. I'm kind of writing it off, but I, I know what you mean. There, there may be more to this that, that I'm missing or I, I'm, I'm not giving it a fair shake, but you know, I think even with a film like that, where you do have to rewatch it to really have the full impact of the film kind of to feel that, to have it hit you at least leaves you wanting to return to it. And, and this movie didn't do that for me. It did not give me this like, Oh, let me go back and like check the It was very plain, you know, very plain matter of fact, what was going on. I just don't think the narrative or the, the plot of the production side of this story was as tight as it could have been. It was too disjointed and abstract for me. Yeah. It kind of, kind of got the sense that he did it this way to get as many of the people, the big names as he got into it. I could see that, you know, here, come in and, and play this part because my uh, primary cast is already filled out. Yeah, exactly. And so here's a good way to like expand you know, it. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm impressed with that inflation said everything, but, it hasn't hit Wes Anderson movies. You go back to his last three movies, all had a $25 million budget. Did they really? Yeah. Damn. 
And this, so I'm seeing here, you know, in the buzz as I, I look into the film and after we've seen it, that this is his biggest opening weekend, right? At nine million bucks. Is it really? Yeah. So, I mean, we're sitting here kind of knocking the film. I, mean, I don't know that I'd say knocking it. I gave it three out of five puffs, but, you know, it's not not his best, but it is his maybe most commercially successful or, you know, at least opening weekend. You know, I, I think we'll that, see the legs on it. I, I bet that I feel like he t- traditionally did uh, smaller openings for his other films. But if I look at it, like Grand Budapest Hotel made $175 million overall. And so I wonder if it's going to have those kind of legs. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Grand Budapest had such good word, word of mouth. Like, yeah, this may be the best opening weekend, but ah, dude, I, I can't. I mean, maybe, who knows? Maybe I'm out of touch. Maybe you're out of touch. I, I know I'm out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're at 43 minutes and 51 seconds. We promised under 45. So God damn it, we're doing it. <laughs> we did. I mean, that's pretty good. But I here I'm gonna, I'm gonna do an fast audible. Forward. Fast forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fast forward. Um, you had mentioned something. I don't know if you want to get into it now, or we cut it here, save it for another one. But you had mentioned something about aliens and hearing a, a podcast talk about aliens. I don't know if you want to tie this in here and and kind of go down that path. I think I hinted on it a little bit earlier. We did, we did hint on it, and I didn't see a good jumping in point. I will say this. We will talk about it more in depth. If you want a little sneak peek of what it is, go listen to um, the June 25th This American Life episode. It's great. It's wonderful. And I, I kind of gave you an intro on it, but it segues into such a different topic than what we're talking about here. So I'm what is sure. the topic for those listening? So, all right. So, this American Life, the, the recent episode, it starts off talking about how, as a as the human race, right? We we love alien movies, and almost all of our alien movies are invasion films. Which d- that part does tie into how they handled the alien invasion in this. Uh, you know, we have someone here that's cataloging. It's very different. Usually, it's like Mars Attack, right? Yeah. Or even Superman with uh, the Kryptonians pain covering. and suffering, and yeah, yeah. So, with that. What this episode was talking about was how it's almost always destruction that we depict. And in almost every one of these movies, there's a scene, right, where the U.S. military or the U.N. or someone, they they have an envoy that goes and meets the alien for the first time. And there's this tension. There's this moment before you know what movie, like before the military knows what movie this is going to be. Is it going to be the movie where they they all get destroyed and they all die? Or is it going to be one of the rare ones, like the day that are stood still where they don't mean harm and they're here to send a message or something? And what he was tying that into or was... arrival, uh, huh? Yeah, or arrival. And so he was actually tying that into ChatGPT and this AI. Say so maybe ChatGPT is something we made, but it's still almost an alien intelligence to how we understand intelligence that isn't our own. And right now we're all kind of in this collective period where we're the U.S. military or the... UN or whatever military. And we're kind of waiting to see what movie this is going to be. That's interesting. Yeah. I haven't listened to that episode of their podcast, so I'll have to have to do yeah. that. But this, yeah. uh, we definitely need to talk AI on a future episode. Oh I yeah. Think. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think it was a good time this time. I, I didn't really give you the, the whole, the whole lead when I was, uh, kind of like describing it, you know? 
Yeah. So I, I didn't really think it applied so much to this movie, except for maybe the how the alien was portrayed here. But, but I do think I, I think you know harping on that or zooming in, as I said earlier, it was refreshing to you know a movie about kind of aliens, which is what this is kind of sold as from a, a trailer standpoint. Uh, wasn't really about the alien or it wasn't like negative. It was very comical and just very light. You know, he was in, he was out, he came back in and out and that was that. And everyone moved on with their lives. So it was, it was a cool take. I appreciate that he did that in this film. I agree. All right. So with that being said, final review, the full smoke on asteroid city. City. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Three puffs, from me. Oh, I thought I was going to like the movie. I thought the critics were going to like it and um, users, you know, the audience score were going to like it. I think I'm right. I mean, I liked it. I guess I just was disappointed. So in terms of our running tally, I think we're both, we both are okay. We put this one in the wind column. Yeah. I think it's like, like, like for me as well. Yeah. Okay. And three, three puffs out of five. Cool. All right. With that being said, I guess thanks for listening. And uh, next episode's what? What? Spoiler. What is it? Ooh, it's our favorite directors. Favorite directors. Get top, ready for that. Top 1260. <laughs> yeah, that's right. IMDb <laughs> top 250, baby. Eat your heart out. <laughs>